The following episode contains conversation about transphobia and violence that may be triggering to some. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah. You know? Music is definitely therapeutic. Oh, it you is. You know what else is therapeutic? What? Jason Derulo. What do you think of him? You know what? That is a fine black man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody calls him corny, but I'm just like, I would like the corn. I love corn. Yes, girl, I would like <laughs> corn. Listen, okay. I, would, I would take the corn willingly, even though in all his corniness, honey, that okay. is a fine black man. Give me corn on the cob. Give me street corn. Street give corn. me grilled corn. Give me all the corn. All the corn, honey. Just give it to me. If they don't like it, we'll take it, honey. You ready? Hey, love bugs, and welcome to another episode of the Rose and Thorns podcast. I am your host, P. Ryan, and I am just melting my tits off in quarantine, but that's okay. It's summer, and that's just what we're dealing with. Anyways, super excited to be here with a good friend of mine, my good Judy from St. Louis. That's where we met. <laughs> but uh, she has no area code because she's all over the place. She's a global woman. Yes. yes. Gabrielle Souza. Hello. Hey. Oh, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy to connect with you again. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just really like in a space of like just wanting to talk to you and like talk to people and like reach people. So yeah, yeah you I'm, have been I, trying to reach out and touch everybody's hand. Okay. Look, you got to, as long as we got gloves on. Cause you know, COVID is still a pandemic. Heard you. So Socially be, distance. A socially distance reach. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. Before we go any further, tell the people about yourself. Um, so just a little about me, I have known Patrick for quite some time, so he probably knows all this information, but just to give you all a little background, my name is Gabrielle Sosa. I am a, uh, black trans woman, actually I'm Brazilian, but I'm still black at the end of the day. And I shout out to Brazil. Black. Shout out to Brazil. Shout out to Sao Paulo. We love this kid. <laughs> uh, and, um, I've just been going through a journey recently of like in my transness, um, soul searching, a lot of searching with things that I like to do. Um, I've had my hand in healthcare. I've had my hands in fashion. Um, and now I have my hands in writing and mm. artistry as far as painting. That is something that I've now taken on. And so, yeah, when Patrick says that I'm all over the place, yes, I am all over the place, honey. <laughs> well, I just meant locally, but I mean, location-wise, but I mean, hey, that's fine. <laughs> Mentally all over the place, though, too. But We'll get to um, it. And yeah, we'll get into that. But um, but yeah, I'm a Black trans woman just out here trying to live my life and mm. trying to show up for my community and, and have my voice heard and and show up for other people. And yes, why we're here. So. Yes, you're a Moliere out yes. here on the streets. Okay, yes. parabéns to you. <laughs> you Hello, <said>. Portuguese. Portuguese. <laughs> Portuguese. I love it. Yes, well, I always love being in your presence. Um, as I mentioned before, we met in St. Louis. And I was actually trying to think about how we met. And I don't know the specific how, but I know it was like in the fashion situation. Yeah, it was. I think it was during uh, a year of St. Louis Fashion Week. And mm-hmm. I think that I was there visiting. Um, I think at that time, I was still traveling back and forth from St. Louis to Long Island. 
Yes. And I think that you were blogging. Blogging. And mm-hmm. so you were there and we met and we just honestly clicked. Like, yes. It, like quickly. I loved your spirit. Like Same, you, were, you were funny. And yeah, I could just tell that you were passionate about life. I could tell that you're a good, good, good energy. And you was going to be my good Judy. And here yes. we are. I truly felt like Whitney from the Hills. I was not only blogging, but I also was an intern that year for Fashion Week. So yes. just running around the help, if you will. Okay. <laughs> look, look, and, that, and nothing wrong with that because you No Fashion Week goes down without the help. No fashion goes down without the help, honey. Mm-hmm. Honey, you it was- are carrying it on your back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I carry a lot of things on my back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well. <laughs> let me tell y'all, this episode was brought to us by a little cocktail. Okay. <laughs> we yes. started we started the cocktail hour a little early. So cheers to you. Cheers. Lift up um, your glasses. If you got one while you're listening, lift it up. Okay. Chin and chin. And sip with us. Sip. Mm-hmm. Mm. Delicioso. Amen. Mm-hmm. So yes, we met in St. Louis, and as you said, it just kind of clicked from that moment on. Um, our conversations and our hangouts didn't just involve fashion, but you and I really um, spent a lot of time kind of dissecting identity, dissecting, you know, men. <laughs> Again, I have to share this story of when you and I were at an event, and there was this fine-ass NFL player there um, who now plays oh, for wow. Philip. Don't say his name. (laughs) Don't say his name. Don't say his name. Fine ass NFL player. Yes, who now plays for Philadelphia. Mm. But (laughs) he's still fine. So you heard me? Okay. Do you hear me? He is delicious. Mm. But try to talk to him. Instead of talking, my sweat did the talking, right? And you were just there to pick up the pieces of my life in that moment. I, I had to, baby. Like, I wasn't going to leave my girl there hanging, honey. You were so nervous. I was like, uh-uh, baby, you're not going to do this. Get stressful. Like, what a cringeworthy <laughs> moment. Yes, a stressful moment. Let's get a little blot and we're going to come back and revisit him. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, but you have held me down not only in that situation, but in others and really kind of um, were one of the people who set the foundation and really gave me a space to nurture my queer identity. Um, and just speaking of identity, I see that not only do you create that space for others, but that you create that space for yourself, right? Yeah, so, but I think it's also very good for us to, like you said, you know, have people there to hold our hand and have us get there. Like my trans journey, um, and my identity, I will say you and I had conversations about that. I remember sitting mm-hmm. in your heart, you know, having conversations with you about that. And so you helped me with that journey. So there's a lot of hand holding and a lot of uh, support and a lot of helping each other, uplifting each other. And that's important. Yeah. And I will say you can see the impact of that transition. Even today, I'm looking at you and you look, you know, completely different from the last time I saw you. And so you really are kind of manifesting that outer shell and having it match who you are on the inside. Absolutely. But I'm no fool. I figure, you know, not even I figure, but like from our conversations, I know that this physical transition has not been the easiest for you, right? Especially when we talk about the impact of transitioning um, your outer shell during COVID, when a lot of resources are kind of cut off from us, when a lot of health offices are closed, a lot of shit going down. Yeah. Um, as much as you feel comfortable 
could you speak to kind of like the mental, emotional, spiritual kind of like challenges you face while transitioning in this moment? Um, I believe transitioning in love. Well, let's first start with like, like you said, it's very difficult sometimes because a lot of resources have been cut off. Mm. Um, what a lot of people don't know is I have really taken the time as of last November and quitting my job in healthcare um, and moving towards more freedom in my, my life mm. um, and in my mental and in my spiritual um, aspect of my life and pursuing like writing and, and art. So currently I don't have insurance because... Mm. I'm not working. So a lot of that stuff that I need, my medications, um, my estrogen, I'm paying for that out of pocket. And that's super expensive. Yeah. A lot of trans women who don't work and who don't have access to, to good um, insurance or don't have access to get a job so that they can have insurance. Um, so unfortunately they can't afford, you know, those medications and some of them, stunt their transition some of them can't transition because they can't afford those things luckily i'm blessed to you know have worked and and saved up and you know i can afford those things and i never step away or don't realize the privilege that i have in that Mm. um so i can only imagine the mental toll that that plays uh on some of my trans my trans sisters minds and then you get into what we're dealing with with covid you know and not being able to go out um and being stuck in the house that can really take a wear and tear on your mental health i know it has for me i've hit creative roadblocks with writing with art you know Mm -hmm. um to where i just don't have the mental capacity to really create and it's scary because you don't want to lose the fire that you once had and i will say that i have in some in some instances been trying to definitely um put or place myself in spaces that I'm loved and supported um, and also push to like keep creating, you know? I hear you. And I feel like it might even be a challenge though, to place yourself in those loving spaces just yeah. because of that like rule of having to be social distance. Right. Absolutely. So how are you managing, um, you know, not just creative roadblocks, but the, the toll that being quarantined is taking on your, your mental health. Well, one of the things that I did do um, early on when COVID, when the pandemic first started and, you know, we went into lockdown and everything like that, um, I was very adamant on staying true to a uh, quarantine group, so to speak. Um, So there there was just a group of friends that I felt comfortable with that I knew that they were quarantining as well Mm. um, and taking the necessary safety precautions with PPE and gloves and things like that. Um, And we hung out, they would come over, I would go over to their places, we would cook dinner together, you know. So again, everyone doesn't have those opportunities. Yeah. And again, that comes from a place of privilege for me and having those opportunities to be able to do that. And again, I never take that for granted. Um, but that's basically what I've been doing, creating those spaces with friends that I know for a fact are playing it safe and that I feel safe and comfortable with. So I'm still getting that love. I'm still um, getting that support that I need. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently had somebody, once I opened my Instagram uh, back up, someone reached out to me uh, and was just telling me about their journey with COVID. And they said that they had started leaving like uh, their Google voice number 
Mm. And it was like, if you need someone to talk to, call me. And they were actually like getting calls from people. So, I mean, while we're still in this, if there's someone that's listening that doesn't have those opportunities to be social um, due to social distancing or not having family support or not having friendship support, just reach out to, you can reach out to people, use your social media and be like, hey, you know, I know there's also some numbers that you can call and, and talk to people. And honestly, you can reach out to me, Mother Sosa on Instagram. Mm. And I am a ear and I will listen and be there for you. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love how you are making intentional effort to kind of like utilize life hacks to maintain community and build community even in this moment. But I can't be blind to one thing that I hear you saying. I heard you say it at least twice um, during the time that you were talking, this word privilege. Yes. And how even in times like now, it protects so much of us from really feeling the brunt of not only coronavirus, but like other stressors that may be in the world. Um, You touched a little bit about how privilege is kind of protecting you and giving you um, resource, giving you kind of like an easier life, enabling you to kind of just up and leave work in the midst of a pandemic and still be able to kind of continue with your transition. Yeah. How does your privilege impact the way that you give back to the community? Um, I think that as of recently, I won't lie. Um, and I think we've touched on this before previously. Um, more so recently, I am really attempting to be a face in my community. Mm -hmm. Um, I, for quite some time in the beginning of my transition, wanted to live this stealth life, uh, this unclockable life, Mm -hmm. um, in which I didn't want anyone to know that I was trans, you know? Um, And so for me, I had to take a step back and be like, you know, Gabby, you're, you know, at the end of the day, like you're light skinned, you're passable. That's Mm. right. Um, You're able to go out there and get a job because of your degrees that you have and things like that. That's Mm -hmm. privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, now that I'm in this space, I'm really trying to say, no, I'm right there with you. Even my privilege outside, you know, I still understand and I still want to connect and I still want to be a face and I still want to talk about these issues and talk about these things, but also not come from that place of privilege, but also just realizing that I do have it, but also sitting down next to someone, be that a trans sister, a trans brother, or a black sister, you know, cis black sister, cis black man, and just being like, I'm here with you. We can, we can do this together. You know, Mm -hmm. there are resources there and I want to help you find those resources. Yeah. What brought you out of the mindset to like, no longer want to just be this person who passes, right? Because I think passing privilege is something that applies to the trans community and also goes beyond the trans community, right? Transcends it. Mm -hmm. Um, You think about passing privilege, like on the... Uh, layer of race you think about passing privilege for gay men who have the privilege of passing straight right in different spaces Um, but you said that you wanted to kind of abandon that and really get back into the community what created that that shift for you um the what created that shift for me was just the fact that you know you get this platform right you get this platform off being this trans person who to others is just like beautiful at everything in life. You know, I've, I've said that a lot of times, like people look at me and they're like, Oh, Gabby is beautiful. She has everything. She's everything in life. Want to look like her, want to be like her, whatever. I don't know. 
want to accomplish the things she's accomplished or right? accomplish the things that she's accomplished you know but that also comes with struggle i mean i had struggled with that too accomplishing those things um and not to deter from the question but just to let people know too another reason why i left my job was because when i did come out as trans I had a hard time in healthcare. Like mm. there was like a message that was like sent out um, that was very, very insensitive to me. Mm. Um, and it just became harder to navigate uh, the position that I held in a dominant uh, male space, cis male space, especially. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, one of the things why I left, but um to stay on course with the question. Oh, we don't have to because that's something to touch on. Oh, yeah. I mean, but yeah. you can fin- finish your statement and we'll get back. Uh, <laughs> no, we can go there now. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so I left my job because, you know, once I came out as trans, like it, it was very hard for me to sustain happiness in the position that I had. And I had been happy as a cis gay man in healthcare for so long. Mm-hmm. And then once I you know, switch it up and I change my identity to, you know, what it has always been. Let's, let's say that what it has always been. And I was just comfortable with coming out. Yeah. They just weren't very, um, accepting, you know, they weren't really on board. I could tell that they were trying, but they were doing it in the wrong ways. And it just made me very uncomfortable. It caused a lot of unhappiness for me and yeah, I had to leave. And unfortunately that is one of the things that I'm sure many of my trans brothers and sisters deal with on a daily, you know, mm. we, we transition in life and uh, in our positions and then something happens to where they, you know, don't really, HR doesn't understand it. I remember having a conversation with HR at uh, the university and they were like, yeah, we've never dealt with anything like this before. Mm. And I'm just like, wow, you are a huge university and you mean to tell me there is no system in place that supports me coming out as trans. Mm-hmm. And they told me specifically to hold off on coming out and presenting as my gender until we, they figured it out. Wow. So mentally taxing. And that's stressful for mm-hmm. someone that's ready to be themselves and come into themselves, you know? So that was very hurtful um, and stressful for me. And I just got to a point where I was just like, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And I was ready to take that fall. I knew I wouldn't have access to healthcare, not working a nine to five. Right. Yeah. I knew that I would be judged and looked down upon for not working a nine to five, because when you really think about it, that's what we're supposed to all be doing. Right. Sure. Sure. That's what society tells us. Like if you're not working, then you're not contributing. And that's really not true. Um, and for a while I did feel that way because there were people that were just like, Oh, you're not working. Like, <laughs> So what are you doing? Mm. You know, what are you doing with yourself? What are you doing with your life since you're not working? And I'm just like, I'm doing me. Yeah. And that was a statement that kind of like helped me. I'm doing me. And that's yeah. all that matters. Living your true authentic self in whatever way that means, which kind of goes beyond gender, right? But also applies to employment. And I feel like in this answer, you're also answering what created the shift in you not just having a sole goal of wanting to pass, right? Because you're showing that even with all of your privileges, right? And like, let's even list some of the resume. You weren't just working in healthcare. When I knew you, you worked in fashion. You were highly connected. You were a model coach. You were a runway coach, right? With all of these privileges. Yeah. 
you still faced hardships based on your decision to come into your full self, right? To manifest your full identity, right? Mm -hmm. So passing wasn't the only goal, right? Passing doesn't bring true happiness or Mm -hmm. everything to you, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, they still mainly focus. They're like, oh yeah, you're pretty, but what do you have between your legs? Mm. you know, like things like that. Mm. Um, and that goes into dating too, you know, but yeah. Yeah. And I really wanted to step outside of that privilege and just really show, like I said, that I'm right here, right along with everyone else, regardless of how I look, regardless of where I've come from, regardless of what I've done, um, in society and in regards to education and jobs, you know, I'm still right there with, the girls who are unable to do that and Mm. men who are unable to do that, you know? Mm. Um, And I thought it was very important to connect with, with that part because that is a reality and that could have easily just been a reality without me making that choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to bring something up and if you don't feel comfortable talking about it, um, I completely understand. We can move on. Um, you and I had a conversation a few days ago and you mentioned the kind of emotional um, and mental toll that even just the process of transitioning is taking on you, right? It's kind of like this two, you know, in therapy, we would call, we would call it a dialectic, right? Like two opposing thoughts kind of like fighting each other and you're trying to figure out the balance between the two, right? So yeah. on one side of the dialectic, it's like, I'm so grateful and honored and happy to be finally coming into my womanhood and on physically. Yeah. And on the other hand, it's like, okay, coming into my womanhood means physical changes that I didn't realize were, you know, (laughs) going to hit me so hard. Right. (laughs) And also kind of just like emotional challenges too. Yeah. With the whole like change in hormones and things like that. Do you mind speaking to that and how you're managing in this moment? Um, I think for me, it's very hard, especially with me. I I will say that, you know, the HRT regimen, you know, plays. And HRT is? Hormone replacement therapy. Okay, just for those who don't know. Hormone replacement therapy, aka HRT, reacts differently to people. One of the biggest things that I have dealt with with it, physical-wise, is body change. Um... I have recently started injectable estrogen instead of oral estrogen. Um, And it has caused me to gain weight. Um, And, you know, I've, you've known me like Mm. back in the day. And I was a slim girl, a slim girl. And so (laughs) now I'm getting curvier and I have curves and, you know, my legs and my, my butt is getting bigger and, you know, I'm gaining weight in my midsection. Um, and so there's a lot of uncomfortability around that for mm. me because I am un, I'm not used to it. Uh, there's a lot of times where I don't really find myself physically attractive or I question, am I physically attractive mm. with not being this perfect model slim, you know, model-esque looking girl and having these curves now. Um, and then mentally just being so in tune with my emotions now and being emotional, I can now cry at the drop of a dime. Mm -hmm. You know, I watch a lifetime movie and I'm bawling my ass off, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and just other people really just being like, Oh, well, why are you so emotional? You know? Um, and I'm just like, well, number one, I can't really help it. 
And I don't think that there's anything wrong with being emotional and in tune with your emotions and your feelings and doing the work to like really get through those things. Um, And again, that comes from who you surround yourself with as, as far as a support group. You know, do we have psychologists and psychiatrists that we're talking to on the regular, which I think should be made readily and easily available to trans people because we need it more, more than most, mm. in my opinion, just with everything that we go through with our physical changes and our mental changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's very important and it has been hard for me to balance those things. Yeah. You know, I'm on medication now for, um, I'm like on antidepressants and I'm on Lexapro for multiple personality disorder, which I don't, you know, think I have, but just a lot of antidepressants and things like that, which they've been helping, but doing things like this to where I can speak freely and mm-hmm. openly, you know, with someone that I know cares about me and, mm-hmm. and me, um, is very healthy and freeing. And so I, I just hope, it is my hope that everyone that is dealing with something like that, especially if you're trans, that is having a hard time with the physical and mental changes that you find someone that you can really talk to and trust. Absolutely. It's so important to <clears throat> find community that will affirm you and validate your experiences, right? Yeah. You even touched on that there are some people who are saying, well, why are you so emotional, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really invalidating statement that can then make you feel like you're going like like you're actually insane right when you're not when you're not you mm-hmm. know or, or or telling you that you know you have a bad attitude or and we hear that with with, with people telling that to black women to our black mm-hmm. women, you know mm-hmm. that we're always angry or we have attitudes or and it's that it's not that we're just tired and we're stressed and we have a lot on our plates you know especially just as black people yeah we have mm-hmm. a lot on our plates What's the lesson that you're currently learning about yourself that you would impart to trans women, maybe not trans women of color specifically, maybe not as far along on the journey as you? Um, I think a lesson that I'm learning right now in my journey as a black trans woman, especially is not relying heavily on um, the love of a partner or the love of another to feel whole. Mm. Um, I do know that it's very hard, especially for black trans women to find partners. And a year and some months ago, you know, I thought I, you know, I had found someone and I was really happy in that. And I Mm. rejoiced in that. And I placed a lot of my happiness and my well-being and my health in this person's hands, right? Because I had a fear that as a black trans woman, that I would ultimately end up alone Mm. or I would not live past the age of 35. Um, And so the lesson that I'm learning right now is that you can achieve anything you want. You can do anything you want. You can achieve that happiness um, without a partner. We don't need, you know, we don't need that as long as we love ourselves. And that's the important message too. the most Mm. loving myself before requiring someone else to love me Mm -hmm. because I feel as if I don't love myself and someone else out here is, uh, loving me in a way that I don't understand or, you know, I'm not loving myself while they are, I'm doing that person a disservice. And I'm also doing myself a disservice because I'm heavily reliant now and codependent on that person. Yeah. 
And so that is my lesson that I'm going through right now, learning not to be codependent around love. And I don't need a relationship to validate me, my identity or my existence in this world. I think that's a fabulous segue, right? Because you touched on, you touched on the lesson, mm-hmm. but you didn't trust, excuse me, words. You did not tr- touch on the struggle. Oh, the struggle. <laughs> right? And yeah. before you actually delve into it, I really appreciate you for coming on. Um, we really talked and planned how this episode would go. Um, and even though we did that, I'm still a little nervous because mm-hmm. I don't in any way want to re-traumatize you and I really honor you for coming in and on the show and like talking about this, right? Yeah. Um, and so you reached out, you wanted to engage the show and talk about a specific issue that you recently experienced. experienced. Yeah. Um, and before we even get to that issue, I would love to, and I hope this doesn't sound too much like a Jan LeVanzant, but what is your intention? I want to know your why. Why did you want to come on and share this issue? I think my intention with sharing my issue and my uh, sharing the issue and the story is the fact that I'm not alone in Mm. what has transpired and what has happened. There have been many deaths in our community Mm -hmm. of my fellow black trans sisters um, at the hands of jilted lovers or Mm. upset lovers. Um, And a lot of times we miss the red flags. Um, I know me for one, I miss red flags because I had never really paid attention or I never even heard someone talk about what we may be going into, what we're about to go into and Mm. experience, you know? So it was very important for me to connect with you and, and I know you have your platform and I wanted to use my voice to talk about my experience in hopes that it could possibly stop someone else. More importantly, a black trans woman, black trans sister from dealing with some of the same things that I've dealt with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and yeah, I appreciate you for again, coming on and being willing to share, um, your experience, right? And when we talk about experience, we're talking about inner partner violence. Um, Some would even call this domestic violence, right? Um, And the reason why it's so important now is when we talk about COVID-19 and we talk about being isolated, we see the data showing that um, violence in the home, inner partner violence is kind of on the rise, right? And I actually just wanted to pull some stats from the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs. Um, They did a 2015 report, um, and this was really just a quick poll, so I'm sure that there's probably more recent data. But in 2015, um, 42% of inner partner violence occurring in LGBTQ relationships um, were from current lovers, right? They were enacted by current lovers and 41% were enacted by past lovers or past uh, people with whom these individuals had relationship. When you did the breakdown though, because you know, a lot of people in science like to use LGBT as like this huge umbrella, right? Yeah. They broke down the percentages of like which groups were experiencing um, are reported, I will say reported, inner partner violence, right? And 3% um, of the victims who reported were trans victims. And that made me raise an eyebrow 
Because I was just like, well, then I wonder how many people aren't reporting or yeah. don't get the chance to report. Mm-hmm. Right? You're right. You're right. And, and a lot of us, even just victims, there's a lot of victim shaming. I know even in my situation now, um, I've been shamed a lot for coming forward and kind of somewhat being vocal about what is what has transpired in my relationship or in my mm. past relationship with my ex. Um, and one of the things that is funny to me is the fact that a lot of times we just aren't believed. Mm everyone's like oh you know like you look so happy like a month ago you were so happy and in love and like you know um Mm. but it's also and you you just don't want to speak to that because you don't want it to be a reality um Mm. i will say for me i felt like i was in a bad dream and i just wanted to wake up one day and like what was happening was gonna disappear dissolve or be gone yeah um but unfortunately, that wasn't the reality. It was actually a reality. It was happening. It, it was right? happening, and it wasn't a dream. And and I think that we stay in these situations, and we don't say things, and we don't get the protection orders, or we don't call the police when something happens, because there's a lot of shame and also fear. And will the police help me? Will they believe me? There's a real fear in that, right? So. Yeah. In 20, again, granted, this data is coming from 2015, right? But you mentioned so many of the barriers that keep trans people, trans people of color, Black trans people from reporting or from taking action or from even leaving the situation. So one of the things that um, this organization noted was that a lot of trans people will not report um, their violence or won't leave the situation because of fear of being further isolated. There isn't a, there's a real chance that your partner may still continue to harass you, may still continue to enact violence, right? And then your social group may take that partner's side. So that's one huge barrier. Then you even talked about it going to the police. Um, In this 2015 data, 12% of individuals said that the police were hostile and violent. 13% said that the police were indifferent. So you're going out, you're spilling your story, you're trying to get help. And then to receive that word invalidation again, yeah, that's a real barrier. I will say, I remember, and, and, and this is just for the record, I remember the first time that I did reach out to the police, um, two cops came, one was a female and, uh, it was kind of like along the first time that we got into it a little you know, physically. Mm. And he locked me out the house and would not allow me to come back in. It's like raining outside. I I don't have anything of mine. I'm just outside. Mm. Would not let me back in. And I did let him know that I did call the police and they were on their way. He came out, said some words to me, and then he left. The police get there. He's nowhere to be found. And they tell me that there's nothing that they can do. Mm. I should call the leasing office of our building and see if they can let me in. At the time, I was not on that that lease yeah. um, because that was his initial space that I had moved into after uh, us dating for some time. But invalidated in that way to where they're just like, and they were just kind of like very, you know, they took my name, which was, uh, you know, I just got my name changed finally. But they took my dead name Um, and I remember her specifically like looking at the ID and then looking at me, looking at the ID, looking at me Mm -hmm. and then just being like, well, if he's not here, there's nothing that we can do. Mm -hmm. And I 
had to stay there in the rain. They didn't offer to take me anywhere. Yeah. I called a friend. Luckily, a friend came and got me, but they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that made me very reluctant going forward to reach out to them. What's the point at that point? In my mind, what is the point of reaching out to law enforcement, someone that's supposed to serve and protect when they're not going to do anything? Well, child, we can see from current events that this whole serve and protect thing, that can sit down, right? And then also another thing I want to highlight is the identities that you're bringing, right? Not only your identity as a woman, but you're a woman of color, you're black, Mm -hmm. yeah? Yeah. And you're in St. Louis, your location. Yes. They, yeah, they don't care. They don't. Do I need to say more? Yeah, you don't need to say anymore because they just don't. And, and, and we know that. Like, they do not care. You mm-hmm. know, they don't care. And I remember him saying to me, when I called the police, I remember him specifically saying, you're black and trans. They're not going to help you. Mm. And let's just put it all out there. Your partner was? White. <laughs> he was a cis white male. Who identifies as bisexual? (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, sip, sip. (laughs) I just have to sip my wine, child. That's too much. So you talk about you know like his privilege in that Mm. in that statement, you know, and and saying that to me, you know, and which further hinders me from wanting to go forward because now you've been not only am I thinking it, but now you've ingrained in my brain that my identity will not get me the help that I am seeking, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of us are in those situations too, where that's constantly ingrained in us and we don't reach out. Like like I said, we don't reach out for help. Yeah. My purpose again is to, and my intention is to not put you out in these streets further than you want to be. So please feel free to deny um, any questions that I ask you. But one thing we have to be clear on is that abuse comes in different forms. It does. And it's not, it doesn't become abuse just because it becomes physical. Yeah. Right. Um, abuse can come in the form of verbal abuse. It can come in the form of um, financial abuse. Say that again. Oh, I was just like gaslighting. Gaslight. You better talk about that gas being lit. Yes. It can come in various forms. Um, it can come in, you know, just to kind of share my experience of what I uh, witness through hearing, it can come in the form of you reaching out to a friend and him completely taking over the conversation. Taking over the conversation, berating me while I'm talking to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What other forms did you experience? Um, there was, I will say there was like phys- physical abuse. Um, he didn't want me to have friends. Uh, wanted me financially financially dependent upon him. Mm. Um, constantly told me that I couldn't do certain things because I wasn't working and I didn't have money. You know, I mean, we never like shared finances, but you know, a lot of it I will say was mental and getting broken down mentally was was what the slave masters did. Mm-hmm. You know, and what is currently still happening to the black community. We're being mentally broken down and made to feel that we're less than, we don't have this, we can't get this, we don't have access to that because, you know, and that went on for quite some time. Yeah. And at a certain point, I will honestly say I started to believe that. 
about myself. And I'm still working through the things he was saying to you, the things that he was saying to me, mm. um, you know, being isolated from friends, being isolated from the community, unless I was there at a function with him, mm-hmm. you know, mm. it was just very hard to, to just to live. How did his violence impact your transition? There were a couple times where I wanted to stop my transition because it was just too much for me emotionally and mentally. Mm. Uh, There were times where I did become suicidal and he was (laughs) basically on board with that. Like, yeah, you should, you know, in some arguments, like he would say that to me. Uh, and yeah, like it was, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was just, um, that was the impact. Like, you know, just yeah. breaking me down and, and making me feel like I didn't belong or making me feel like I didn't have a safe space if it was not with him, which actually wasn't too safe in itself, you know, mm-hmm. constant arguing you know, no one wants to get up and argue every day. I don't want to wake up next to my partner and not know who I'm going to get, you know, because it's like Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde and Mr. Jekyll, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's not what a relationship is should be built around. That's not what love is, what love should be. And there's a, a really, mm, there's so, so many layers to this. So many and layers. again, totally respect your boundaries, but I'm just going to ask, because you mentioned that there were so many people who said, who tried to invalidate your experience by saying that you had this perfect life, right? Yeah. And you and I had a conversation about um, how you move forward when you have that highlight reel called Instagram. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I had to take a step back from it because I, in, in that conversation with you, and I think when we had that conversation That is when I realized in that moment that, wow, I'm putting on this front and Mm. I'm actually not as happy as I look. Mm. I'm not as happy as, you know, people are thinking and seeing. And I felt a great deal of responsibility to be viewed in that light for some odd reason. Mm. Because I had been happy in the beginning and I had been happy for so long. And then everything went to shit. And I wanted so badly for the happiness to still be there. I wanted so badly for the person that I knew that he could be to come back. And I think that's why I held on to it, honestly, if I'm speaking, Mm -hmm. honestly speaking. Mm -hmm. Because I thought that if I held on to it again, I would wake up from this dream. Mm -hmm. And we would go back to those moments that I saw. But if you go to my timeline you can kind of see where like there were more pictures of just myself, you know, and Mm -hmm. even when I was still with him. Mm -hmm. And so it was a slow detach, but yeah, I had to shut down my social media because I was like, this isn't fair to me. Yeah. I'm going through it mentally. I'm going through a lot and I just have to face my reality without putting on a front for people. Even you, I'm hearing you say your efforts to kind of like, bring back this happiness that you once experienced. Uh But there was also a part of you that you mentioned that, you know, felt like you had this responsibility to present 
this picture. And even hearing you earlier in this interview, you know, when I talked about like, or when we talked about privilege and, you know, how you want to give back to the community, you really harped on this responsibility with using your platform, right? And when we start to kind of ingrain this idea that everything is a platform, every, our, our lived experience is we have a responsibility to impact someone else. We can kind of fall into this trap of, well, then I need to be this Instagram of positivity. I need to be this like perfect picture, perfect presentation. Yeah. And we really start to lose some of the reality of what we're actually going through. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, respect your boundaries, but how much would you say of, when you buy into this kind of idea that you have a responsibility to be this platform, to be this figure, to be this person that people look up to, kind of taking a, a look back on all that you've posted, all, all the, the ways that you present yourself, how much is real and how much is kind of like this glamorized me? I think a lot of it is, is glamorized. I would say at least... 70% of it is glamorized for me because, you know, I go through struggles every day just being trans. You know, I go through struggles just like every other trans girl does or every other person does. Um, life is heavy and we go through stuff. And, and unfortunately, you know, I was one of those people too that just, I didn't share my authentic experience, life experiences. You know, mm-hmm. I, only, I only highlighted the good ones. Um, and then even going back, to speak to my relationship a little bit, I remember the first picture that I posted of us, right? I had met him and like, we had been hanging out for a while and like, he asked me to be his girlfriend and I wanted to be an example for trans sisters that you can find love and, and, and it's possible mm. only for that to turn sour on me. Uh, and it was very interesting. Like thinking about that now, it's very interesting to see, you know, how I came from that post, that love post where I was like, this is a love stand account now. And like, mm-hmm. don't give up. You can find a man. And, and here we are to where I'm experiencing, like I said, the same things that my sisters and brothers are, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm not far removed from those struggles. Um, do you think your desire to be a love stand account was so strong that it blinded you from a lot of what you were experiencing in the beginning? I, be- I believe so. You know, I was also made to believe that a lot of the issues that we were having and a lot of the arguments that we were having was my fault. Hmm. Like he, he made me feel like, you know, well, this is your fault. Like, this is why, you know, we're having these situations, you know, mm-hmm. and to be candid and be open because we love it. And again, like, that's why I'm here. Um, I mean, there was a situation of some infidelity on, on my part. I had connected with, uh, uh, another trans person that I, you know, happened to really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was very hard for me to, that was a hard pill for me to swallow being in love with someone and then also connecting with someone that's on my same journey, mm-hmm. you know, um, again, I was in a relationship with a white cis male. So he, he can't speak to my experiences. We don't share the same experiences. Mm. He doesn't know anything about my experiences, you know. Um, and no cis person, gay or straight, I think in my mind, does know the experience of a trans person and what we yeah. feel we go through, you know. Yeah. 
but you have to show up and, and be there to listen to those experiences and not kind of like not control them, but just listen and take in that information when someone's saying, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. And so I connected with this uh, trans individual um, who happened to be a shoulder and an ear to my experience. And we were both transitioning kind of like at the same timeline and uh, the friendship grew and we romantically liked each other. And, you know, there was some, some lies in there and deceit around me not being open and honest with it at first because there was a lot of shame around, you know, having another partner or wanting to take another partner and even just being attracted to more than one person. Mm. And again, I, I've lived my life thinking that, you know, you can only love one person in life. You can only, you know, if you're in a relationship, you're in a relationship. And that's a whole nother conversation because um, I know that can be deciphered in a myriad of ways. Mm. Uh, everyone is not good for poly or open relationships, right? And so that's honestly the turn when the, my relationship started to deteriorate. Um, and I think he felt very threatened by me and this person's uh, connection, unfortunately. Um, instead of kind of like welcoming him with open arms and just saying like, hey, there's no shame around it. You can be who you want to be. We can either work through this together or maybe that's not for me and we're just going to go our separate ways and I'm going to let you experience what you want to experience. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned that you came on here to positively impact other trans folk who may be going through similar situations. Yeah. Right. There are black trans women who are dying um, all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. You recently mentioned a black trans man in Tallahassee. It was. Yeah. Tallahassee, Florida. Who, who recently passed. You mentioned you found that out today. Yeah. What message do you have for black trans folk, specifically black trans women um, who may be experiencing a similar situation? I think my message to black trans women is look for the signs, you know? And, and I mean, yeah, like it's hard because, you know, arguments sometimes you think come from a place of love, but uh, a lot of the arguments that we were having and a lot of his thought process and things like that never came from a place of love. It honestly came from a place of control and, and what he wanted. And there's nothing wrong again with going for what you want, but you need to, if that's, if you're with someone and you all aren't aligning for whatever reason, you got to let them go. You can't mm. beat someone or abuse someone into being with you and being that perfect partner that you want them to be. Nobody is perfect, number one. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. No one is perfect, and we have hiccups. Um, but for my Black trans sisters, like, abuse is not okay. Be it physical, mental, um, it's not okay. And once you start to see those patterns... It'll only get worse. It's not going to get better, nine times out of ten. Um, you know, one of the things I did in my relationship, too, was I asked specifically, could we go to counseling together? And he was adamant on not wanting to do that. And that should have been a sign for me to be like, well, you know what? You're not willing to do the work. You're not willing to grow with me. So maybe we aren't right for each other. Let me walk away from this, you know? But again, in the back of my mind, there was just so much fear around being alone as a black trans woman and how hard it is for us to find love and find partnership. But yeah, if it starts to get bad or you start to notice that you're not feeling happy every day as we should. And I think that black women, black trans women, black women, we deserve to be happy. It is our right. 
Mm-hmm. Black people in general, anyone in general, honestly, it is our right to be happy. And if a situation or a person isn't making you happy, it's time to evaluate that situation. Evaluate it for what it is and realize and recognize what is causing you to be unhappy and realize that those are red flags. Mm-hmm. And it's probably time to get out because that was my situation. It did. It never got better. It only got worse. Yeah. The way that he treated me, the way he talked to me in conflict, it just got worse and worse and worse. Mm. And I have no doubt in my mind that it possibly could have led to my my death if I would have stayed. Mm. If I would have stayed, honestly. I can honestly say that in this situation, and that is, that is a fear of mine. It is still a fear of mine because I... I don't know what he is capable of. I don't know his, his mindset and his feelings. Mm. But yeah, we, mm. we, got, we got to get out. We got to find better for ourselves. We can't allow ourselves to stay in these situations because we'll lose ourselves. We'll lose more of our sisters. And it's just not worth it. Mm. <laughs> you know. I heard you use that word happy. I want you to complete this sentence. Happiness is... Happiness is loving yourself, being free to be who you are authentically, living your life authentically and in your truth. And that's what happiness is for me. I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your experience. Um, I would like to share with you all, Love Bugs, if any of you are experiencing or feeling like you may be experiencing um, interpersonal, interpartner violence or um, uh, domestic violence, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is um, available 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Uh, you can find it at thehotline.org or the number 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. Again, thank you so much, Gabrielle. Um, Now what we're going to do is play a little game. Uh, And I know after such heaviness, it might feel weird to play a little game. Um, But it's a part of the show. Yeah, (laughs) and we love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it is Spin the Rosé Bottle. So I have spent the entire episode asking you questions. You get to ask me one question, juicy or dry, and I have to answer. (laughs) Juicy or dry? Hmm. I will, let's say, well, I want to know what, I want to know what your love life is, is looking like. Like, how do you feel about, you know, and, and I know that you hear, like, you hear my story and I'm sure you hear other stories from um, other people in your lives. You know, what is your outlook and take on uh, love for you? Well, first and foremost, what is love? even though that was definitely not on pitch but it's fine (laughs) it's fine Um, my love life do i have one i love myself yeah and and that's that's it yeah that's it that's it she's a cute girl and i love myself and i'm open if anyone wants to love me add to my love yes honey positive love though we don't want none of the you know Oh, if it's not positive love. None know. of the rip Yeah, no. Yeah, mm. I love that. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, that's, that's a message that you're giving to me. So I'm going to take that. I'm going to put that right here. We're going to keep that right here. <laughs> heard you. Heard you. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you so much again for being on today's show. And love bugs, I will see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rose and Thorns, a P. Ryan podcast. You can find Rose and Thorns on Instagram and Twitter at Rose and Pod. That's R-O-S-E-N-T-P-O-D. And you can find P. Ryan on Instagram and Twitter at I am P. Ryan. That's I-A-M-P-R-Y-A-N. See you next time.